policy and practice podcast from the Migrant and Minority Ethnic Council. A Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland with Dr. Anne Smith of Ulster University and Dr. Ulrika Featon of Queen's University Belfast. Hello and welcome to this edition of MME Matters, a video and podcast series from the MME Council looking at policy and practice and issues that matter to the community. In this edition, released to mark Human Rights Day 2020, we'll be looking at the idea of a Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland. In fact, there's a consultation out about this at the minute, so we'll put links to that on our website. In the first section, I'll be talking to Dr. Anne Smith of Ulster University to get a sense of what a Bill of Rights is and to get a sense of the history of that in the Northern Irish context. Then in the second part, I'll be talking to Dr. Ulrika Veaton of Queen's University, Belfast, to ask how she thinks a Bill of Rights might make an impact on newcomers, migrant and minority ethnic communities and others in Northern Ireland. Before we begin, don't forget to follow us on social media at MME Council and visit our website mmeconsult.org where you can find out more about these issues and sign up to our newsletter. And now, let's go over to the conversation. Dr. Anne Smith, I'm delighted you could join us for this discussion of the uh, Bill of Rights for Human Rights Day. So perhaps we could just start, if you could just tell us, well, who you are and a little bit about your work and where you work. Yeah, um, thank you very much, Morris, for the invite. I'm delighted to... Um, to speak to you um, and it's great that we're having this conversation um, on Human Rights Day. And my name, as you said, is Dr. Anne Smith. I'm a senior lecturer at the law school. I'm also a member of the Transitional Justice Institute at Ulster University. I'm based in the McGee campus. And my main research is in um, human rights law, equality law, and in particular, um, comparative constitutional law, hence my interest in bills of rights. Um, I'm currently writing a book on bills of rights at the moment, and um, specifically looking at um, the drafting process of bills of rights. And Northern Ireland is one of my case studies. Um, so it's, um, it's been an interesting um, number of years looking at the process and then also looking at how other countries have drafted their bills of rights and learning lessons from 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 them and also learning lessons from Northern Ireland as well. You're a perfect person to talk to then for, for this purpose. Um, perhaps if you could maybe start off by giving us a general idea or giving the listeners a general idea of what is a Bill of Rights? Um, it's not just any old sort of set of laws or something. There's something a bit more specific about what a Bill of Rights is. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and people often hear Bills of Rights, but there is um, a lot of misinformation and disinformation about what a Bill of Rights can achieve and what it can't achieve. And um, so it is important to be clear as to what is a Bill of Rights. Um, and I want to start off by saying that it is important not to overstate the uh, importance, the significance of bills of rights, that they're, they're not going to be the solution to all problems. Um, but um, a bill of rights 
they are essential in supporting good governance. Um, they create a rights informed structure of accountability and they are part of a wider project of shaping effective governance and holding governments to account. So they're very much a, a, a method, um, a tool, should I say, in terms of accountability. And of course you have, and this is where a lot of obscure stories um, around the Bill of Rights is in terms of the roles of courts. My view is that the role of courts, yes, they play an important role, but they should be used as a last resort. And when um, cases do go to courts, um, that it's not all about winning a particular case. Even the publicity around bringing a case um, around the particular major social issue is good in terms of bringing awareness and an understanding of that particular issue. So first and foremost, it's all about in terms of creating um, and helping good governance. Um, and especially in times of crisis, we need certainty. Um, and a Bill of Rights can provide a, a framework from within politicians can work within. So to prevent um, abuses of power, um, to prevent legislations and policies discriminating against um, against certain sections um, of the community. So they 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 are essential in terms of um, providing accountability and giving a voice to those who may not have a a voice in the political field. So the Bill of Rights basically brings together a set of obligations safeguards that oblige a government regardless of which government is um, to at least safeguard those minimum core rights so in other yes, words you know, right. it carries on from one government to the next it's not like one government can say oh no I'm, I'm I'm not interested in safeguarding those rights you know and tear it up it's something a bit more durable than that that gives people guarantees across time is that would that be fair enough fair to say oh yes Yes, that, that's very much fair to say. It is very much in terms of providing um, core core safeguards, ensuring governments adhere to um, their, their responsibilities, their obligations um, under a Bill of Rights. Um, and as I said, it's very much in terms of a check and balance, both in terms of um, how policies and legislation are designed um, and in terms of helping good governance? In, in terms of in the Northern Irish context then, people have been talking about a Bill of Rights in Northern Ireland for quite a while, certainly at least since the Good Friday Agreement. Could you maybe give us a quick uh, catch up on the history of that process? Yes, well, I think it's, a, it's important to point out that um, the debate and need for a Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland predates the, um, the peace agreement um, of 1998, um, it dates back from the 1960s. Um, there were numerous attempts to introduce a Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland, but um, they failed um, on, a, a, on, several, um, on several occasions. And it really wasn't until um, the Good Friday Agreement, Belfast Agreement, that provided what people have referred to as the constitutional moment 
um, and marked an important um, step in terms of um, bringing forward um, and giving the Bill of Rights the, the recognition. Then there were several attempts between 1998 and now to try to get it going. Uh, there was a particularly a bit of a push about 12 years ago, wasn't it? 2008, it was the um, the Human Rights Commission that proposed another move on the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. And again, that's stalled. So where are we now? How far have we got? Yeah, well, um, as you point out, under the, um, the 1998 Peace Agreement, the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission, they were mandated to consult and advise on a Bill of Rights supplementary to the European Convention on Human Rights to reflect the particular circumstances of Northern Ireland. And I'm just paraphrasing that particular paragraph from the agreement. And after a, a long and inclusive drafting process um, by the Commission, and, and, and that, I think, does need to be recognised and both within the Commission and those outside of the Commission who were involved in that process, their work needs to be recognised and commended. Um, so the Commission um, on the, the, the 10th of December to mark International Human Rights Day, very symbolic, they submitted their advice to the um, British government um, in 2008. Um, nearly a, a year later, in, in November 2009, the, um, the Northern Ireland office responded to that advice and they basically said, um, they basically did, dismissed uh, most of the recommendations that the Commission put forward. Now, the Commission, in terms of how they approached um, their mandate was they adopted a, a, a broad interpretation of, of, of their mandate and that created a number of responses. Um, on the one hand, some people think that the Commission went too far in interpreting um, the mandate that the way they did. Um, so in the Commission's advice, they include a very strong and inclusive Bill of Rights um, in terms of including civil and political rights, as well as social economic rights. And, and that has caused um, some controversy. Um, on the other hand, the, there are those who support the Commission's advice saying, no, well, actually, to the inclusion of those rights, in particular social and economic rights, are important in terms of the fact that Northern Ireland is emerging from, um, from conflict. It's a, it's a transitional society, and as such, though it is important to include those rights. And, and then there is another school of thought, and, and it's important to, to highlight that this, th these three schools of thoughts, this is um, as a result of the, the research I have done with um, Professor Colin Harvey on a, a research project and funded by the Joseph Rowntree Charitable Trust. And what we did in that project was that we took the Commission's advice and translated that into a draft model bill. And just to show how, just to show people that this is, this is how it, it, it could be done. And we asked for responses. So 
the responses were yes, um, that the, as I mentioned, in terms of the, the commission's advice went too far for some. Um, the other school of thought was that and they supported the commission's advice. But you have this third school of thought and this particular school of thought you don't hear very much that there are some who think that they didn't, the, the advice didn't go far enough. So the feedback that we received um, in our project was that the, um, the commission's advice could, could have been a lot stronger in terms of um, children's rights, um, women's rights, um, refugee rights. And of course, then another major area that was highlighted at, um, as a, in, in terms of our, our, our project was Brexit. Brexit has created a whole new set of particular circumstances to Northern Ireland, and that needs to be reflected in any Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland. So, the so that was um, the um, the feedback. So I'm now joined by Dr. Ulrika Veaton, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, more of the aspects of the Bill of Rights that have an impact on migrant and minority ethnic communities. So, Ulrika, Dr. Veaton, uh, welcome. Thanks for, for joining us. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your work to start off with. Yeah, yeah of course. Thanks so much, Maurice, um, for inviting me or approaching me. My background, as you can guess from my accent, I'm not neither Northern Irish nor English. So I'm originally from Germany. So very much European and I'm a lecturer in sociology at Queen's University, Belfast. And for more, I would say about 15, 20 years by now, because I worked in London at universities. That's where I did my PhD as well um, on gender and ethnicity focus, really. Uh, also working in Amsterdam for a couple of years in Luxembourg, Sheffield. So I've been around for, for some while in universities, in different universities, and I'm specialized on the one hand on issues on family theory, gender intersectionality issues, but also in terms of ethnic minorities, migrant situation, in what ways this is relevant to different societies, how societies are transformed. And uh, to finish this here for now, I guess that's also the context of Northern Ireland. I did a small study with my colleague, Dr. Fiona Murphy, uh, four years ago, I think already, on behalf of Stormont, um, conducting research on the situation of asylum seekers and refugees in Northern Ireland, which was the first study in itself looking how the experience matters. And so I guess we might come back to this in a minute. So, yeah. Yes, that, uh, I, I think we, the MME Council probably already has that. In fact, we I know we have all, already got that in our kind of um, uh, research archive, as it were. So uh, we must um, put links on the on the website to point people in that direction. Very good report. Um, so I, I guess we are talking about a Bill of Rights. This uh, podcast is, we are using it to mark Human Rights Day. And I spoke to Dr. Anne Smith from Ulster University about general concept of a Bill of Rights and how we've got to where we are in the Northern Ireland context with uh, the consultation that's ongoing with a view to getting it back up and running again. 
So I wonder if you could maybe talk to us a little bit about how a Bill of Rights, why is that important to people from minority ethnic backgrounds or migrant backgrounds? I suppose for me, the, the, the way it's framed in general in Northern Ireland is that you've got to try to work out some way of getting the two communities to be able to live together. And it's usually framed in terms of that, you know, like binary uh, notion. I don't know if that is a way into thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, thanks for this, of course, is connected to some of our publications, Fiona's and mine, um, in a way problematizing what you were just saying, the notion of sectarianism and how the kind of legacy or in, in some quarters of the society, particularly also contemporary situations and experience of social divisions, then what that means to migrants and ethnic minorities or racialized minorities as usually the two, I would say rather main, main um, ethno-national communities are addressed as a matter of fact of history, of course, and the Belfast Agreement. And then of course you would, could jump on this kind of conclusion that the Bill of Rights also would rather address these two communities. That said, um, I guess what we have to take into account, and uh, I said I'm a lecturer in sociology, but I also studied law in Germany back then, it's ages ago. So I do have a sense uh, what legislation means and different forms of legislations. And as I understand, and I guess that's um, relevant, if this human rights bill is framed in terms of that it's for everyone, then of course it's going beyond the two communities and it's also then at least attempting or claiming to be inclusive or more inclusive. And in terms of minorities, um, what I would like to add, and I just read what's in preparation um, that the Ulster Scott community might be recognized as ethnic minority very soon. So then that means the notion of minority has to be much more precise and specified as well. So that's one thing. Whom are we talking or whom are we addressing when we say minorities? I would distinguish here clearly between a notion of migrants or what migration means, also and I, as a European citizen slash now turned migrant, I'm very much aware of what that means. So it, uh, in, in consequence, you have less rights as any citizen. And now applying this to the um, UK slash Northern Ireland context or where you said like the addressing the two main um, ethno-national communities. Of course, as a migrant, you would have even weaker rights. And out of that or in consequence, a, a, an interest to receive more rights, obviously I have a stronger position to claim rights. And if let's say this bill of rights would be, and I understand it's, it's a long story by now, I, it started in 2008, I understood, so it's 12 years ago. So um, this would mean in a, in a situation end of 2020, we are facing the end of the transition, the end of the Brexit, even weaker overall situations for people to claim their rights. 
then the Bill of Rights, of course, would at least fill some of this gap and gaze that's created through this kind of transitions or transformations we are in. So from what you're saying, I think the lesson I would certainly take from it is that um, there's a urgent need for uh, people from migrant and minority ethnic backgrounds and others as well to get involved in this process because if they're going to be framing, someone's going to be framing these laws and legislation and if it's already likely to be uh, weakened for people in the other category then maybe the best thing is for people really to get involved and it's all the more urgent to raise your voice and make it heard. Would that be fair to say? No, no, absolutely. And if people are interested and if you have a look, let's say, at the documents and, as I said earlier, it's going on the contestation since 2008-ish. So there are a lot of different documents, but what what basically catch my eye is when I see um, the talk on diversity of minorities, it's quite often foregrounding culture and language and identity. Um, I wouldn't say that's not the case, but it's only an aspect. It's a nuance of what the situation of minorities is about. It doesn't really say and speak that much to claims of social and social equality, for example, how participation could be enhanced. So in, in, in this kind of context, um, migrant status, as I tried to point out earlier, has to do with this insecurity in terms of not legal status. And as I said earlier, even more so for asylum seekers in the most vulnerable position. And as a refugee, it's, it's better than that, but obviously it's still uh, weak in comparison. But then if there is nothing really existing at this kind of rights framework, because we don't have constitutional rights here, then the Bill of Rights at least is an attempt <clears throat> to bring this and to strengthen the possibility of rights enhancement. Mm. And I guess that's why, not, why I said earlier, we also have to distinguish between the notion of ethnic minority, of course, and on the other hand, then uh, migrants. So as a, as a sociologist, but also someone who's trained in legal uh, studies and in legislation and familiar with this, I always would keep an eye on this in terms of the consequences this does have for different groups of minorities, different groups of migrants, because it's a, it's a loose category. It's both loose categories or broad categories, mm-hmm. and it has to be much more specific to make this more concrete. For example, you have long-standing ethnic minorities in Northern Ireland, Chinese <clears throat> and Indians actually several generations. So they are not migrants, they are not migrants. The situation of Polish, Polish migrants, Lithuanian, me as a German, if you don't have your citizenship status any longer, if you were not able to register in time, you know, your status now in the UK, then you become 
not out of the sudden because this is going on for, for four years now, as we know it, um, but you are much more vulnerable in this case. And then Europe comes in. I mean, the one side is probably the Bill of Rights and the other one is the, the role of the European Council. And sometimes people might also find this a bit more complicated and, and mesh that with the European Union rights framework but the European Council goes beyond that. And then we have a European Court of Justice, uh, sorry, not of justice, exactly not of justice, but human rights. So this, let's say this legal angle and layer also comes in and is most uh, important to the situation. And I just try to say on migrants, on particular groups of migrants, but also to particular groups of minorities. So we have really to be careful and keep an eye. Yeah, what kind, what groups are we are actually talking about? So I guess the, what I'm picking up is that we have to be sensitive to um, differences um, rather than lumping, you know, instead of changing it from a two community model to a three community model and just saying everybody who's other is all the same. We need to be attentive to the differences within that uh, group of others. But I guess the, the sort of alongside that, it's probably also a good idea to uh, show a bit of solidarity um, across the, you know, so, so we're all different and everyone within the other. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, that's uh, what you just said, um, just adding to, to this. I guess the, the complication in a place like Northern Ireland, as you just said, is that there is come kind of, we are used to address groups predominantly and the society in itself is on a learning curve, on a learning curve to understand that diversity, that's why I mentioned cultural identity and so forth, that it's much more about diversification and inclusion means then accepting that individuals are, of course, embedded in communities, but that might, I mean, intersectionality perhaps rings a bell. So the, the layers, the layers of group belonging are multiple. And it's not good enough to just say exactly what you, what you mentioned. We have now the two dominant or majority settled communities. Then we have established settled ethno-national minorities. And then we have other groups that might then actually, you know, being add up, but it, it doesn't add up. So it's, it's creating a new situation. And I guess that's much more exciting to think about Northern Ireland as a place um, that's undergoing transformations and a rapid, rapid change, how people live, how they want to live, yeah, and, and that's where we have to look at, and that's that's the most important thing. You you just dropped the word of solidarity, and absolutely, I think that's important. It shouldn't be a situation, again, where groups are re-essentialized or belonging is re-essentialized, but, but understanding that we have to differentiate between identities, okay, and social structure. And social structure means we are in a position of hierarchies. Groups might put in this kind of social hierarchy 
at, at different stages and different consequences. That's why I said like asylum seekers, refugees, migrants, what kind of migrants, the legal framework is always there and it puts people into places. And if we, if we consider this kind of dynamic, then it's overriding, of course, any wishes for, for cultural diversity because it's more about the legal rights and legal status and a bill of rights that encourages to think more on that kind of lines of legal security, social equality. And you might have in the end, if you think only about the human rights framework, you might have competing, competing rights. But that's fair enough. I mean, it's, it's still about thinking through a rights frame and that's more important than thinking through a cultural identity frame. So that's how I would end. <laughs> that's that's interesting. So I guess we we have um, we've got work to do in terms of uh, getting putting pressure on the politicians and making sure the Bill of Rights is as good as it can be, but that we also need to do broader work. I and beyond the uh, the idea of the, the bill of rights altogether so thank you very much for your your contribution and uh, wish you all the best in the rest of your work yeah thank you very much it was a pleasure subscribe to mme matters on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts <laughs>